Uh, this morning we're going to have a, a pretty basic lesson. Um, and, you know, I know most everyone here uh, to, in the room this morning is a, a Christian and has a pretty good understanding of uh, baptism and, and what baptism does, but I'm, I'm hopeful that this lesson may help us in, in talking to others uh, about ba- baptism and um, really going to come at it from the standpoint of initially just looking at, at water in the Bible and, and what we see uh, God's Bible telling us about water and, and some things that water does. Um, so what do you think about when you think about water in general, uh, just, you know, in our everyday life, I think we realize that, you know, water is, is the main thing we use to wash things, right? It removes dirt and stains from our bodies. Or we use it to wash our clothes, our cars, uh, the dishes, and, and a multitude of other things. Just about everything we wash, we you know, water's involved with it. Um, makes up a 75% of the earth, I think, is covered in water. Uh, if the kids told me right. I didn't fact check them. Uh, but uh, that that's the number I was told. Uh, so it's everywhere around us. Um, and we know that really life itself on earth is supported by water, right? Um, if you plant seeds in dry soil and it doesn't rain or they get no water, what happens? Nothing. They, the seeds don't sprout. They don't produce it. If you plant seeds and they get a little bit of rain or there's moisture in the soil enough to get them up uh, and sprouted, uh, but then they get no water, what happens? They, they wither and die or they don't produce uh, what they uh, should produce. You know, water is something that animals and people must have to live. Uh, our bodies are made up of a pretty high percentage of it. Uh, and without water, you know, really life on earth... Uh, won't exist. It'll it'll dry up and die. It, it sustains uh, the life on this earth in various ways. And so, when you think about that, and, and again, that's all common knowledge. Everybody understands that. Um, when you look at the Bible and God's Word, and and what all is said about water throughout it, God's Word, it, it's a it's a lot in the Bible about water from the things we've been talking about just the general physical aspects of how water relates to God's creation uh, you know the first time it appears uh, in a sustaining type way is in Genesis 2 and, and verse 10 where it talks about uh, the river that went out from the Garden of Eden to water uh, everything and you know from that point forward through scriptures we see people thirsting for water we see people drawing water you know for their animals we see the shepherds leading their flocks to water, you know, just all of the everyday things that we know water uh, affects today was true uh, since this world has been created. And we understand that the, the connection between uh, water and life that, that has been here since God created the world. But especially beginning with the law of Moses, we see... Um, water's use or importance in God's law, right? We see God in his law, uh, in the law of Moses, having some rules to follow or some uses uh, for water. And that's what we're going to 
really start talking about. I'm not going to look at it in detail in the Old Testament because uh, we're going to really try to get into the New Testament parts of this. But beginning with the Law of Moses, uh, this washing becomes an a important thing or a, a thing that God requires in various ways for various things associated with his law. Um, turn with me to Exodus chapter 30. This is just one spot in the law of Moses where we can see this, and there's, there's a whole lot more. Exodus chapter 30. Starting in verse 17. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water, lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and feet lest they die, and it shall be a statute forever to them, uh, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. And so again, this is just kind of a snapshot verse um, of some special commandments that God had under the law of Moses for the priests, for the Levites, the family of Aaron. And it involved this washing. Uh, They had to wash their hands and feet before they went into the tabernacle to offer sacrifices. And we're going to get into a little more detail of of why that is, but throughout the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy where where the law of Moses is spelled out uh, and given in detail to the people of Israel and uh, to Moses and and to the Levites of how God wanted them to worship him, what they needed to do to be pleasing to God, we see, you know, passage after passage, I didn't count them up, but it's, it's a whole lot of passages that, that talk about this washing. Uh, and, and it could be washing uh, of some of the sacrifices that they were supposed to do before they made the sacrifice. It could be washing of their bodies, just like we, we read in that verse talking about Aaron and the priest. Uh, it could be their garments, or it could be vessels or pots that they were using. Um, all of this are, are commandments that God had for them uh, that involved water. Uh, and washing things so that they were clean in God's sight. Um, And, you know, this idea of clean in God's sight is what we're really going to to get into by the end of the lesson. But think, you know, don't think necessarily dirt. Think ceremonially clean, right? that's That's what we're talking about. It's not that God was worried they had dirty hands, you know, they had some dirt on their hands. That's not necessarily what we're talking about here. And so for us to to understand this ceremonial clean, uh, the reason that God wanted them to wash in these particular ways at these particular times, I think we have to understand things from God's perspective, right? We have to see things through the lens that God looks through uh, the best we can. And fortunately, he, he helps to explain that to us you look at Leviticus 11 and verse 44, there's a passage there that says, For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. Uh, and so in that passage we see 
uh, this idea of consecrate, uh, setting ourselves apart or preparing ourselves, putting ourselves in a, in a certain condition before we're before God because God is a holy God and, and God being a holy God, He can't be around or be associated with sin or filthiness or dirtiness. Um, you know, uh, something unholy is dirty through the lens that God's looking at uh, and, and He can't be associated with that. If you think of, think of the story of, of Mount Sinai when when God uh, was going to appear to the children of Israel on Mount Sinai, He told those Moses and the children of Israel through Moses to basically prepare yourselves. Wash yourselves, be ready. On the third day I'm going to be on the mountain. Don't let them come near that mountain or touch that mountain because I am a holy God. If they do, uh, they would be killed. Uh, and so that that's the lens or the thought uh, that we're thinking about as we go through this. When we have sin in our lives, from God's perspective, we're dirty, right? We, we appear to Him to be dirty or have a stain. The Bible will talk about it as a stain on our garments, right, when we have sin in our lives. Um, Jeremiah 2, in verse 22, says, For though you wash yourselves with lye and you use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. Uh, Isaiah one eighteen: Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Um, if you look in Psalms, if you want to turn to that passage in Psalms 51, where David is asking for forgiveness of his sins, Psalms 51, starting in verse 7. This is again after uh, David's sin with Bathsheba. It says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me, God, a heart. <clears throat> Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And so, again, this is this is David after his sin with Bathsheba, pleading with God to be washed and made clean in His sight again. And and you know what what are these type passages show us about how God sees us when we've sinned? He sees us as dirty or as stained or as, as having uh, spots or blemishes on us, right? Uh, and, and that's not good. Um, you know, again, because He is such a holy God, we can't be in His presence in those under that condition. Thankfully, uh, He's always made a way for mankind to become clean, in God's sight. He's always made provisions for that because he knows uh, that mankind uh, will sin against him and he knows we need a way uh, to be able to wash those sins away. And and in some way, whether you're talking about the Old Testament law and the law of Moses or the New Testament law, water is involved, right? Uh, we've looked at uh, some of the Old Testament stuff about the sacrifices and the, the ceremonial washings that were part of the law, and that was all part of how uh, those, those sins uh, could be removed or those blemishes were not uh, in God's sight anymore. 
Um, in the New Testament, we have a different way, but it's still this same principle, right, of being clean in his sight, and it still involves water. Um, and so uh, the, the remainder of the lesson is really going to be looking at that. You know, how under the New Testament law, under the law of Christ, how are we made clean in God's sight? And, and what role does water play in that? Um, and, and again, if we're talking about being pleasing to God, who gets to say what needs to happen for us to be clean in God's sight? It's God, right? He's the one looking at us saying, you know, you have sinned, that, that's not good, that's not pleasing to me. And so he gets to set the rules for what needs to be done to remedy that. Uh, we don't get to come up with that on our own. Uh, and so that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. These are just a, a few verses here um, to get us thinking along this line, these lines of what role water plays in this. Uh, John chapter 3 and verse 5, uh, this is Jesus talking. It says, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. John 4, verses 13 through 14. This is in, in the story of the Samaritan woman and, and Jesus at the well. Uh, and she comes to draw water for the animals. And, and Jesus asks her to draw some water for him. Um, and, uh, she, you know, they have this conversation. Uh, and ultimately, Jesus ends up telling her, you know, if you knew who you were talking to, you would realize I could give you water of life that you would never thirst again for. Uh, and, and she says, give me this living water that I may never thirst or have to draw water again. Um, but, but I just wanted to put that verse in there to, to recognize this water of life or this living water that Jesus offers. Uh, and then John, uh, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Uh, and so when you put... Put passages like this together, we can see that Jesus has this living water that we should want, that we need. Um, we see Jesus saying that we, we must be born of water and spirit to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, and uh, we must believe in Jesus uh, to be born of God. And so you put this together about being born of water and spirit, uh, being born of God, believing in Jesus, realizing he has the... the the living water that we need, you know, these are all pieces of the puzzle that are part of God's plan to make us clean in His sight. <clears throat> and then you've got these passages. Um, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25. Well, i got to get to Ephesians, not Galatians. Okay, this is um, talking about Jesus and the church. It's in the context of, of some instructions about husbands and wives and how they treat one another, but it, it's 
Uh, it's also talking about Christ and the church there. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Okay, so just put all this in our head as we as we go through these. The washing of water by the word. He may sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of water. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. And so, here Paul, talking to uh, those Christians in Corinth, in the letter he he wrote to them, tells them, you know, these type of people who are living in sin, someone who chooses to live in sin and and to participate in in sinful things, and and that's, that's the way that they live, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to get the, the promises and the reward that God uh, has for us. Um, and he says to these Christians, you know, some of you used to be that, but what happened? Why are they not that anymore in God's sight? It's because they were washed and sanctified uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit uh, of God. And so those blemishes or those sins had been washed away from God's sight, and, and we're going to just keep keep building on that. Um, turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 4. It says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared... Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, these are just three passages in the New Testament that kind of tie together what we've been saying about our sin, uh, making us dirty or blemished in God's sight, and that uh, dirtiness being washed away. Uh, the, the sanctifying or washing and justifying is the removal of our stains before God, our sins before God, so that in, in His eyes, when He looks at us, uh, we're clean in His sight. Uh, it's just like under the law of Moses, right, where, where they had to wash the, the passage we read about Aaron and the priest before they went to offer those sacrifices had to wash so that they were ceremonially clean in God's sight before they did that. It's the same thing, same type principle here that we're talking about under the law of Christ. Uh, We have to be clean uh, in God's sight if we want to to, uh, have that reward that He's promised us. And so, you know, we can see we have to be clean. How does that actually happen? Um, You know, and again, God gets to tell us how that happens, and we have to do it the way that he says, uh, if we expect that to happen. And so, 
Let's turn to Acts chapter 2, a passage that, that we're all familiar with. We've been at the Pines the last few weeks. We finished up Mark, and, and we've got a, a, a group of guys that, that have been pretty engaged that we've been studying with there, and so we moved on into the book of Acts uh, and, and have been going through that. And, you know, act, there's so much in Acts that is important to us as as Christians and in this conversation we're having today about how do we become clean in God's sight. Uh, and so that's what we're going to look at several of these passages. Um, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. <clears throat> I think most people here know the context of this. This is Peter preaching the first gospel sermon there in Jerusalem. He's talking to a, a large crowd of people and basically tells them, you just killed the Christ, the Son of God. And we pick up uh, in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to all your children and to all who are far off, as many as will call, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted to them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about three thousand souls were added to them. And so, you know, this is such a, a key passage to, to understanding this washing away of our sins, right? You've got a group of people here who have been preached to, who have, have just basically in their minds realized that they have sinned. They messed up, they killed God's Son, the one that had been promised to them. Uh, and they asked this question, the, the greatest question ever, what do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do so that God does not punish me for, for the wrongdoings that I've done? And, and Peter's reply to them is repent. And be baptized and let uh, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And so he, he, he gives those steps there to repent, to turn away from that sin, change their mind uh, about the way they're living and, and, and uh, change it to following God and Christ uh, and, and be baptized for the remission of sins so that those sins are washed away. And, and that's the story we see over and over again in Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 8. This is Philip uh, on the road. Uh, he encounters the Ethiopian eunuch who is reading from the Old Testament a passage in Isaiah. He doesn't understand it. And Philip draws near and, and basically begins this conversation with him. And we pick up there in verse 35 of chapter 8. So then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And so here you have again another example of someone uh, realizing they need to be baptized to be saved. And, and you, don't, you see the urgency here that this eunuch understands. They're in the road, on the road, uh, in a chariot or a buggy or whatever they're riding in. 
um, the chariot. And, and when, when the eunuch realizes what he needs to do to be clean in God's sight, it, as soon as he sees water, he says, stop, let's do that, right? Uh, and so we see uh, the sense of urgency and the necessity uh, of doing that. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Uh, this is Peter going to Cornelius, a Gentile, uh, up to this point. The, the gospel had primarily only been preached to the Jewish audience, right? Uh, and here in chapter 10, after some, some visions that God sent both Cornelius and Peter, uh, Peter ends up at Cornelius' house and, and teaches him about Jesus. Um, and look at verse 47. After Peter has preached to the house of Cornelius, telling them about Jesus and, and about what Jesus did, um, verse 47 can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have just received the Holy Spirit just as we have uh, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and they asked him to stay a few days and so again you can read the, the back story in the, in the previous chapter about what all has happened in, in relation to this but I just skipped straight to the end to show that, that here was Cornelius he's described as a devout man Prior to this, he was someone who was trying to follow God, wanted to follow God and do the right things. And when Peter comes and preaches to him about Jesus, he realizes there's something else he needs to do, right? Uh, and so uh, he and his whole household are baptized. And, and this is the same baptized as we've been reading about in these other two instances. Baptized for the remission of their sins. Uh, look at Acts chapter 22. This will be the last one we look at. In Acts chapter 22. This is the Apostle Paul recounting his conversion. He was Saul of Tarsus who was persecuting Christians. Uh, We know about the Lord appearing to him on the road to Damascus and him basically making a 180 uh, in the in the life that he was living and becoming a Christian, uh, but look in uh, verse twenty two and and chapter twenty two and verse sixteen. Again, this is Paul retelling the story of what happened to him, how he ended up becoming a Christian. Um, Ananias comes to him, and in verse sixteen says, "And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord." And so, you know, again, just a, a snapshot verse there, but uh, you can look back at the story before that and get the details of what happened there. Paul realized he had been living a life of sin. He was working against God and against Jesus. Uh, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and, and, you know, that changed Paul's mind. Paul realized Jesus was actually the Son of God, realized he had been wrong, had been sinning, and so he... He repented of that, and he, he waited uh, there in Damascus until Ananias came to him uh, from God. And, and Ananias' commandment to him was, you know, you need to be baptized and wash away your sins. And that's what Paul did. And so, again, all of these are, are showing us the same thing, that for, for us today, under the New Testament law, under the law of Christ, uh, this washing away of our sins 
uh, is tied to baptism. That's not all it's tied to, and I think Mark's probably going to talk a little bit about that, but it is uh, part of the process. You know, there's nothing fancy about the water itself when someone is baptized. It's not, it's not a special water, right? Uh, you know, we don't have a, a, a water that, that is some kind of holy water or a special water. You know, it, it's not the water that is special. It's really rather our obedience in faith of following God's plan uh, is what accomplishes this. And so I wanted, uh, for the, the close of the lesson, just to look at a few more verses that kind of show us that it's not anything special about the water, but that the, but that the water is just part of the process, and our, our obedience and faith uh, is what makes that work the way God uh, intends for it to work. Turn to um, Revelation chapter 1. You probably say, Matt, you've been, you know, you listened about water and, and washing away our sins, and, and this passage talks about blood. But I just wanted to include this. Revelation chapter 1, 4 through 7 says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. And so verse 5, uh, talking about uh, from Jesus, who has washed us from our sins in his own blood. So keep that in your mind, that the, this washing away of our sins isn't just water. It has something to do with the blood of Jesus. Keep that in your mind, and, and we'll look at these remaining passages. Romans chapter 6. We'll try to, to I guess, ferret out how what this water is doing or baptism is doing. Romans chapter 6 starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall he who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. And so, you know, this is a, a great passage to look to that makes that the connection or helps to show us why baptism, why water. What is, what is that doing from God's perspective, right? Uh, it's not that we have dirt on us we're trying to wash off. It's not that there's anything special about the water. It's this, this symbolic thing of being buried with Christ and that, that's part of how the blood of Christ washes our sins away. It makes that connection. Baptism in God's eyes makes that connection of us being buried with Christ, Christ's blood uh, doing away with our sins. You know, those things are linked through baptism and, and through that symbolic death 
uh, that baptism represents. If you look at um, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And just pointing to the fact that there's there's nothing special about the water itself that it's really got to do with obedience and faith and trusting in God and, and letting Him set the rules for how our sins are, are, are washed away. 2 Peter chapter 3 starting in verse 20. It's going to be 1 Peter. Thank you, Gary. I'm going to struggle to find that spot in 2 Peter. First uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. And so think, think back to the story of Noah uh, and, and God telling Noah, I'm going to destroy all of life on earth because uh, mankind is so sinful. But you've been faithful, so I'm going to save you. And, and, and Peter here says that God saved Noah through that water. And we understand that that was because uh, he had instructed him to build a, a ark, and Noah believed him and acted on that, and so was ultimately saved. Uh, verse 21, There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, I guess this passage really sums up what I was saying about it. It's not anything special about the water. It's not that God wants us to wash the dirt off our bodies. Uh, it's the answer of a good conscience. It, it's us believing in God's plan of salvation, seeing what he tells us in his word needs to be done to, to cleanse those sins from us and then doing it. it our conscience drives us to, to do that and, and obey God and follow his plan. Uh, and so the, the last passage I wanted to, to look at is in Revelation chapter 7. Starting in verse 13. And, and this is the, uh, in my mind, this, this is the group we want to be in. What's described right here, these people that are, that are being talked about here in Revelation. It says, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so that's a that's a scene of heaven, right? That's a scene of those who had their robes washed, who in God's sight were white. Their robes were white. There were no stains, no blemishes. Uh, how did they do that? They did that by following the things we've been looking at this morning, by 
confessing that Jesus was the Christ, believing in that by repenting of their sins, uh, like we saw in Acts chapter 2, where Peter tells them when they say, what do we need to do to be saved? Peter said, repent, turn away from your sin and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Uh, and, and they follow those steps, and that's how our robes are white uh, in, in God's sight. If you if you look at it through the lens that that He uh, shows us, and so again, I know uh, most everyone here uh, who's of age is a Christian and understands that and has done that. Uh, if if you're not, uh, we certainly encourage uh, someone to do that if they understand these things and are and are willing to to believe those things and submit to God and, and obey those things and follow His plan for salvation. Um, we can uh, gladly help with that. Uh, for those of us who are Christians, we didn't talk about it at all this morning, but, but even after we become a Christian, that doesn't mean we'll never sin again, right? There's, there's times uh, when we are weak or when we uh, may rebel against God or when we sin against God and, and we stain ourselves again and and we see that uh, in in acts we see that when that happens uh, we we don't have to be baptized again but rather we repent of that sin and we pray to God asking for forgiveness of that sin and 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 he'll do that for Christians he'll forgive that uh, when we repent of that and ask uh, for that forgiveness and so uh, if, if that be the case with anyone here this morning we you know, we're here to encourage one another and to help one another and support one another in serving God, and, and we certainly uh, are, are there to do that for each other uh, if that case arises. So if you have a need that, that we can help with this morning, we ask you to let that be known as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.